0: Greetings in Jesus' name this morning to each one of you. I didn't bring the songbook up here, but that was a wonderful song, Myrn. Encouraging, exhorting, like some of you are in my life. The Master has called us. To cheerfully follow, I don't know, I don't know the exact words, but something of that nature. So I was expecting after that song I'd come up here and everyone has a big smile on their face and uh, you're encouraged. It was a blessing to be here. I actually was at the tip of my tongue to pick song 811 this morning. Mary, thank you. So good to see you back. I know you're back last week, but we weren't here. So uh, that's—I just thought that's an encouraging song. Also, it's a song of come, let us go. We got things to do and places to go, and God will take care of us. <laughs> so, and I know most of you were not at Harmony where Marcus was speaking last two evenings. We were there last evening. Some of us. And that was definitely an encouragement to me as well. I mean, there's many ways of encouragement and a challenge. But one of the things that I recognize there, been, there have been a number of Mennonite churches in Reading for the last hundred years. It's been a mission or a ministry field for, for a number of groups for a hundred years. Now I say this is an encouragement. This sounds discouraging, but maybe it's a, it's a, it's an upside down way of encouragement. Let's say it this way: after all these years of ministry there, there's only one viable church there. After all those years, it'd be, uh it'd be Fairview Street, and um, and that one is doing okay. That one's doing fine. It's at a uh, as stable. He said over the last 90 years since they've been in there, they only had five church leaders, so they had strong stability through the years of leadership. I guess the encouragement to me was, and maybe this won't be an encouragement to you, but the road of ministry is long and hard and doesn't always produce a tremendous amount of fruit. Why is that encouraging to me? Well, sometimes we think, well, if we don't see fruit, maybe something's wrong with us. <laughs> and maybe there is. That, that's okay. That's okay to think that. Maybe there is something wrong with us. That's okay. But to also recognize that faithfulness is the main thing that God commands, not fruitfulness, although he said we will make you fruitful and all that so maybe that's our next sunday afternoon discussion how we all apply that but so yes yeah, so we have challenges and we have uh, trials in life and we need to need to walk by faith like we've heard this morning if you could could we stand for a word of prayer before we go on with the message lord as we stand before you As we bow our hearts, our heads, we look to you. And we look to you alone, Lord, for our future, for our grace, for our power. Lord, you also realize you provide your grace and your strength through people. And so we look to you, even through people, that you are behind and you're the one who gives life. And yes, you give it more abundantly we pray this morning you would bless us in our short time together i pray lord we could be an encouragement to each other we could um, be receive instruction from your word and lord not just instruction but be encouraged and motivated to uh, to live it out in our own hearts and among each other we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you see seated. This morning, I'd like to look at a particular dimension of brotherhood. And so the focus this morning will not be primarily, well, it won't be mission. It won't be outside. It'll be a particular dimension of brotherhood. And it's called mutual aid or care for one another in the practical and the financial areas in our congregations. Now the NGO that the Kaufman's the Melvin Kaufman family, the NGO that they initiated some years ago was called the Indiana no India. India Care and Share Ministries. And I don't know, I know very little about it, but as we were looking at HIM and recognized we needed another another legal format to operate under, we were considering just dumping over into, into that one and renaming it International Care and Share. And I believe it's actually been changed to International Care and Serve, but I'm not even sure what's going on with that. I think I saw that. But what I want to communicate this morning is the Oasis Care and Share Ministries. (laughs) Care and serve would be just as relevant, but care and share is a needful topic. Now, this topic of mutual aid is in contrast to what we call more spiritual or more doctrinal areas of our lives, So this morning we won't be talking about the Trinity, we won't be talking about the necessity of the new birth, we won't be talking about men and women's roles, all that is assumed. But I'll speak, I want to speak this morning about how a healthy biblical brotherhood functions in the practical and the financial and social care for each other. The Brotherhood. You know what a brotherhood is, don't you? It's it's that it's that place where there's a kindred spirit. Brotherhood. Kin, you get the word kin in there. It's a kindred spirit. It's a place where people of like precious faith and practice meet together. That's a brotherhood. And such a kindred spirit is expressed in care and share for one another. Now, we might say, well, if there is a true brotherhood kindred spirit, then the care for each other will automatically take care of itself, right? Is that right? I mean, if you have a real heart there, it'll just come out, right? Well, yes, but it's also true that sometimes... There must, some regular things need to happen. Things like we need to be educated on certain things. We need to be challenged like we were this morning. Everything we heard this morning probably, we already knew. Is that right? But we need to be challenged on it. We need to have some exhortation, some accountability. Some correction sometimes. And sometimes we need to have repentance and revival. Now mutual aid or care for one another is not a, it's not a compulsory activity. It's a voluntary sharing of our time and our goods and our financial resources. And the heart of mutual aid within the brotherhood is expressed in the following idea. I serve as God's steward. When you have needs, I share with you what I have been trusted to manage. That's the heart of mutual aid. And of course, the converse is true. If I have needs, you have the same kind of heart to help me. Now for you to understand where I'd like to go this morning, here's the agenda, four points for this morning's message for the Oasis Care and Share. Number one, and if you don't get it all written down, I'll be repeating them later. What is the biblical basis for this mutual care and share of one another? Number two. How has this been historically practiced among the Anabaptist people? Number three. How are we presently doing at Oasis and where are the current trends taking us? That's two questions in that number three. How are we presently doing and where are the current trends taking us? And number four be some questions and exhortations about our own future here at Oasis. So that's the agenda for this morning. And so we'll start with number one. What is the biblical basis for this mutual share and care for one another? And we'll go to some scriptures that are very familiar with us. So if you don't have a baby on your lap, open your Bibles and turn with me. To Acts chapter two, you may still do this if you have a baby in your lap as well. But um, I'd like for you to follow after, if you can. Acts chapter two, and we'll start at verse forty-two, I believe. Yes, and they continued steadfastly. The early church, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and it all had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them unto all men, as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house and did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. You know, do you ever wish you could have been there? The initial birth of the church, it was such a special and dynamic time. And now concerning the topic this morning, what did they have? Well, they already had a close-knit brotherhood. They loved being together. And they came together often. And they had a kindred spirit. And their possessions were freely shared to meet the needs that rose among them. And here is a nugget that I, I think I'd like to take home. Mutual support was the mindset. Enhanced fellowship was the result. And I might talk more about that later. We're talking about fellowship, but if fellowship takes place on the more dimensions of our lives that fellowship takes place on, it becomes more enhanced. That's the point I want to bring out here. But we need to note that this special sharing took place within the brotherhood, not in the same way outside the brotherhood, not to the general public, not in this way. Okay, you can also turn to Acts chapter 4 and we'll read from verse 32. To thirty-five, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the thing they possessed were his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither were there any among them that lacked, for as many as had possessions of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Now, ownership of private property existed among the believers, but most of them were free from the selfish attitudes in the exercise of that ownership. Of course, we saw that. In the next chapter, Ananias and Sapphira, how, how they had impure motives. But the early believers were, when, when, when needs, dire needs arose amongst them, they were willing to do what was necessary to meet those needs. Okay, turn to Acts chapter 6. Very familiar verse again, starting at verse 1. And in those days, when the numbers of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them, and said, It is not reason that we should lead the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look look ye out from among you seven men full of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this saying pleased the whole multitude, and then they chose those seven men, and laid their hands on them after they had prayed and all that. What we can get is that there were needs in the church, and the needs of the church was met under the authority of the church generally. And it came with accountability. But in time, as as things progressed and the things became more complex, uh there was more structure needed to meet to uh to organize these needs and so so they they, uh they organized more structure. See proper structure in a chunk congregation is an asset. Proper structure is an asset, not a hindrance in the working out of our faith. So initially apostles did it, but later on it was delegated to the deacons. And the needs inside the church were met. So those are three passages where we see how the early church was meeting the physical needs amongst them. And then in Paul, in his many epistles, fleshes out different expressions of mutual aid. He said, there are not to be any freeloaders. If you can work, you are to work. In fact, you're to work enough so that you have to give to those in need. So there's no freeloaders. And, don't expect others to take care of your household. If you can meet the needs of your household, don't expect others to do that. That's accountability. If you are rich, be very generous with your wealth. We are only stewards and not owners. And a very clear example, and we could actually go right the whole way down through uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'll go through portions of it, but I'm going to read a, a very... A very clear example of what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting at verse 13. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, talking about financial things, but by inequality, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance may also may be a supply to your want that there may be equality. As it is written, he that gathereth much hath nothing over, and he that gathereth little hath no lack. So throughout the New Testament, if you look at this issue of mutual aid and care for one another, changed hearts always brought changed attitudes towards material possessions. You can take that home, if your attitude towards material possession hasn't changed whenever whatever happened to you, maybe you weren't actually as changed as you think you were. Changed hearts produce new attitudes towards material possession, resulting in other things, mutual age, both within and without the brotherhood. So much more could be said even from scripture, but that's a scriptural basis of what I'm talking about this morning. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, we're going to be going down the communist road by now, but no, don't just just give me some time. Number two, how has this been historically practiced among the Anabaptist people? When I mean historically, I mean both in the beginning of the Anabaptist movement and on, up to modern times. And I'm using Anabaptist history because that's the one, first of all, that's where, that's the theological stream that we're in, and it's the one I'm most familiar with. I am sure that other religious heritage have their own stories in this area. And I'm not going to put cold water on that, but we'll be speaking about Anabaptists for a little bit here. You know, the Anabaptist movement initially was not a reformation. It was a restorative undertaking to create a biblical church of Jesus Christ, to restore it, not to reform the existing church, but to restore it. As such, it became a lot like the early church. And right now I'd be tempted to go down some rabbit trails and describe how, how that happened, but I'll, I'll just totally lose the, the, the line of thought and we won't have enough time. So we'll stick myself, I'll, I'll, I'll limit myself to this area of mutual aid and care for one another. The early Anabaptists argued that genuine disciples of Jesus would gather Invisible church for mutual edification, support, and accountability. The restitution of the apostolic church with all its concrete social meanings was central to the Anabaptist understanding of, this, of the uh, church. So the early Anabaptists were incensed. That the state churches, during that time, would allow nominal Christians to be a part of their church without participation and without active active participation in congregational life let 's say it that way and a spin off from that theological understanding that that the church is is it disciples of Jesus that gather together for visible accountability and support and so on, and a spinoff from that was the social dimension of the community. Over the centuries, the Anabaptists had understood the church as a social community as well as a spiritual community. Participants were members of one another who shared in common meals, in work, and in play. They often lived near one another, and they shared community life together as well as spiritual experiences together. This might be a controversial statement, but in the Anabaptist view, it takes a community to properly Produce a disciplined believer. Maybe that's a second at Sunday afternoon discussion. It takes a community to properly produce a disciplined believer. There are exceptions to that, I'm sure. So, one practical expression of both the spiritual and social dimension of the church is this mutual aid. For the Hutterites, which are part of the Anabaptist stream, they, they became community as a norm. They became a community as, uh, as a, a community of goods. But in the other Anabaptist congregation, the practice of mutual aid in times of distress, of disaster, and special needs was simply taken for granted. Much of that aid was spontaneous because it was just a part of their spiritual and social fabric. So when a distress came in the community, the, the relief flowed to it as a natural occurrence, seemingly natural occurrence. Of course, the Amish barn raising is the, a modern, romanticized expression of that. <laughs> a barn burns down. What happens the next day, not six months down the road after the insurance claim comes? What happens the next day? Well, not, not the next day. I'm sorry. I've seen cleanup occurring while the fire's still going, it seems like. <laughs> still smoking and they're already cleaning up. That kind of thing in, uh, in aid. But of course, that's only a tiny sliver of the many different aspects of mutual aid. And aid, historically, was extended beyond, beyond the local congregation. As I think of many of us who are from Mennonite ancestry, many of us, our ancestors were extremely poor, and they were in persecuted areas, and they got aid from the Dutch Mennonites in Holland to assist the emigration to America. That's well documented. I don't know how widespread it was, but it was fairly common that these poor people coming down the Rhine River and get assistance to come across. That is a form of mutual aid beyond the congregation. And then MCC, Mennonite, Mennonite Central Committee, was actually originally formed to help the Russian Mennonites escape The Bolshevik Revolution and Communism in Russia. That's where its beginnings were. So, we have mutual aid both within a brotherhood, care for one another, and then we have mutual, then we have aid given to other brotherhoods of like common faith and practice. In the first chapters of the books of Acts, the book of Acts, like we read, the Christians joyfully, joyfully participated in the sharing of goods to provide mutual aid in time of hardship. And they took care of the widows and other needs among them. And later on, when Jerusalem's saints faced severe hardship, then the relief was organized from faraway churches. So, in the pattern of the apostolic church, the Anabaptists have retained a strong tradition of mutual aid, both within and without the brotherhoods. This kind of aid calls for both generous giving in time of need and humble receiving when there is a need. Today's giver may well be on the receiving end of assistance tomorrow. Now, in modern times, more institutionalized forms of mutual aid have developed. And um, instead of completely spontaneous aid, we have plans like a fire and storm and automobile accident and health care and other things like that. So that is These plans developed mostly as an alternative to regular insurance coverage and insurance companies. Because there is a certain amount of risk in life. There is going to be losses. We don't know when. We don't know where. We don't know how much. But we know it will happen. And so if you own a house or you own a business, there's a possibility it could burn down or a tornado could blow it away or other kinds of tragedy can happen. You know, if if something would destroy your house completely today, would it place you in a financial bind? Would it be devastating financially? It would be. It'd be the same way with a serious automobile accident. And so, if you, the insurance company, the insurance industry was formed to guarantee restoration to the condition before the event happened. That's why insurance companies are for. It's like a contract. You pay so much, and then we cover you. That if you have whatever kind of loss, then then we will cover that loss. But it's 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 within a contract. Uh, my back when I was a boy, we lived on a dairy farm. We got a silo crew in to build a silo for us. This is a stave silo with staves. That's how they built a the silo. And my brother, older brother, was helping build. He got this thing come down from the top, and you would clip the next stave on this thing, and this whatever they had, this pulley with this power thing on top would take the stave up, and they would build this silo from the top, and they go on through. And he was putting these, um, he was connecting the pulley to the staves. And one time, the stave broke, the top of the stave broke, and fell over and landed on his foot. Just a small fall, but it, it was damaged. He had to go to the doctor and get it fixed. Uh, the silo company said, oh, yeah, we're insured. You get, a, you get an injury, uh, insurance will pay for it. So my mom called them and then found out, well, no, he's not an employee. <laughs> we don't cover that. And there was a little bit of a discussion. You have to know my mom. <laughs> A little bit of discussion between this and that, and no, that, that that's not covered. Okay, so that's insurance companies. You are covered or you're not covered. I lost my my uh, place here. Yeah, and insurance companies do that. They will dictate if you if you insure this building. We will allow no candles, no burning candles in this building. And I've heard of situations where you don't question so much whether you can afford the vehicle, you question whether you can afford the insurance. Now that doesn't happen here because that happens with young men with muscle cars and things like that, where insurance sometimes costs more than the car itself for I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, I guess I do. So that's insurance company. So the question to ask, what naturally happens when the church experiences shifts from a completely spontaneous care for the welfare of each other to a complete dependence or reliance on insurance company? What, what things actually happened in that situation? I'm talking about from one shift completely spontaneous to the other complete where you're completely insured. And there's no longer in between there. Do you think that frees us to serve God more effectively? After all, we're all insured against loss. So now we're more free to serve God and serve each other, right? Right. Or does it hinder us from a close care and share? Does it draw us closer together or does it allow us to come further apart? Are we more like the early Christians or are we more like modern America? Does it really matter how our losses are compensated? After all, a dollar is a dollar and a million is a million no matter where it comes from, right? Those are some of the questions i like to ask us to think about. In fact, this, this message probably is going to raise more questions than answers. But it's to stimulate us. Number three, how are we presently doing concerning mutual aid? And where are the current trends taking us? Two questions in that question. It would be interesting to hear your answers to that question. Your opinion might be different than mine. But since I'm the one giving the message, you'll hear mine at least first. Now, the issue of mutual aid, I do not think is a sin issue topic. Now, if you don't care about your fellow believers, that would be probably a serious indication of something wrong. But if you do care, but to you, it makes no difference whether the needs are met by an insurance company or whether they are met by other believers, and it makes no difference to you, that is not a sin issue. If your brother's needs are met, and that's enough for you, okay, and we can go, then you can go on to more pressing issues, and that's okay. Well, is it? Well, we'll talk about that. How are we presently doing at Oasis? As I look back at the collections that we have held in recent times, well in, in the whole our whole existence of Oasis in the last five years, as I look at the collections we have held, I I see we are doing quite well. I see hearts that are willing to share and give to others both within our congregation and outside our congregation. Those outside our congregation who may have experienced major expenses. Not only are the amounts fairly generous, but the heart to give is usually pretty eager. This past brothers' meeting, I wanted to know the brotherhood's heart on on a collection that we were were considering and here's a question do we collect when there is a moderate loss or do we wait till the situation is a poverty situation (laughs) and then give and the majority opinion was to be quick to give not wait till an extreme situation and then let the recipient return it in some way if he wishes if 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 we hold a collection for somebody and he thinks, well, I didn't deserve all this, he had to liberate it and us, give it back to somebody else. And that's a good heart. That is a high amount of level of trust. And that's a blessing. I have seen that here. And I appreciate that. Now, I would say that we've not been tested financially where we, we've been really stretched. We've not had that. So before we pat ourselves on the back too much, we can remember that, that we may be tested in the future, likely will. But uh, I like what we've seen. How are we presently doing? I, I do like what I have seen. But um, I like to read also another couple of verses in Second Corinthians chapter 8. And this is a an example of a church who was really poor. They were in poverty, they were in persecution, and they were struggling, I'm sure, but they really, really didn't want to give. And so I like to read about that as a, as a little bit of a context of where we're at. The churches of Macedonia How that in a great trial of affliction The abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, Paul saying, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Like I said, here was a suffering church, a poor church. But they had so much joy. They had so much thankfulness to God that they, that when they heard that the parent church back in Jerusalem, the parent church was facing dire situation, they begged Paul, let us be a part of the relief effort. Please take our offering and give whatever we can give. We want to be a part of that. Please, we want to help. That is a real heart of mutual aid. An attitude of love towards fellow Christians produces practical actions to meet real financial and physical needs. So the first part of that question, I am blessed. I, I like what I see here. How are we doing in the care and share with the second part of the question? What are the current trends taking us? Here I am a little less optimistic. Not seriously, but there's some areas of question, and I'll explain why. The Anabaptist people have traditionally cared for each other in almost every area of life. Like I mentioned before, whether it's loss or distress of any kind, whether it's fire, storm, illness, health costs, widowhood, injury, it was an all-encompassing community of care for one another. When I grew up, if there was a fire or storm loss, I would, we would expect soon to have someone come knocking on our door for a collection. We have much less community interaction amongst us uh, than historically. Anabaptist people have had. Okay? We purchase much more secular insurance than what Mennonites historically have. And what does that mean for us as a people? What or where are the current trends? Where will they take us? Where will they go? And the question is, does it matter? <laughs> See, I, I again I I want to stimulate your thoughts. I have more questions than I have answers here, okay? But I, I like to just bring these out and and uh and have us aware of it. Dependency on each other has shrunk significantly in the last generation or two amongst us. And there's very real reasons for that. We are a we're we're not part of a a large church group or organization or conference or whatever constituency. We're not part of that. So we have the abilities to have plans in place, let's say it that way, or even spontaneous, be able to meet each other's needs in in those bigger areas. Uh, We're much more limited. So. So uh, we have done the, the natural thing. We have gone the insurance route, largely. And the question is, what we, what we have, and we'll get into that more. We have a very good heart here. The question is, with less dependency, is there a connection between that and maintaining a heart? That's my question this morning, Okay. I'd like to uh, read a, the contrast between commercial insurance and mutual aid as described by Anabaptist Financial. This is a contrast between the two. Uh, Richie Laura, I La- Laura. <laughs> can't think of last name, but Richie, his name is, he's the one that compiled it in a newsletter this year one time. He said, commercial insurance is a, contractual arrangement with a secular financial company. Okay. It seeks to provide a guarantee against loss. In example, your financial status is to be reimbursed and restored. The benefits you receive are based solely on how much you are willing and able to pay. Essentially, commercial insurance is a risk management strategy exercise on an individual basis. Very straightforward, very clear. By contrast, mutual aid is a loyalty arrangement within a brotherhood. Although the brethren may not be able to restore all of the conditions that existed before the loss occurred, they care about your needs and they seek to assist in love. Rather than being based on what you can pay, Mutual aid is rendered on the basis of who you are. If you are a member of the body of Christ, the other members care about your loss and seek to restore you. So there to contrast, like I said, this is not a sin issue. But there are disadvantages in being insured versus being dependent on each other. There are Fellowship disadvantages. Insurance tends to move us towards individualism. Mutual aid moves us towards community. Insurance tends to move us towards trust in man, and mutual aid tends to move us towards trust in God. So my humble evaluation of us here is that we have a generous heart here that propels mutual aid. But like I said, as a small independent church, we can't have those established mutual aid programs. Honestly, if I would have a choice between the two of having a heart of mutual aid like I see here, a heart of care for one another like I see here versus someone who's on a mutual aid plan but treats it like an insurance company, I would much rather have what we have here. The heart is definitely much better than the action without the heart. It is an inconsistency to be a part of a mutual aid plan without a real heart to help your brothers and sisters. That's an inconsistency. So we have the heart, only we have fewer areas that we are expressing it, and the trend is away from that kind of mutual sharing on different levels. And then the question comes, what, what, what is the, out, the eventual outcome of that trend? And does it matter? So, number four, some questions and exhortations about our own future at Elasis. Now I'm going to do what Paul did in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 he's an apostle, I'm not. He was inspired, I'm not, in the same way he was. But in 1 Corinthians 8, in verses 8 to 10, he says some interesting things. He says, I'm not going to give you a commandment. I'm going to give you my advice. (laughs) Paul, the inspired apostle, for this particular situation right where you're at, I'm going to give you my advice, and I guess that's about all I can do this morning, right? I'm going to read this, 1 Corinthians 8, chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 to 10. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might become rich. And herein I give my advice. And then he goes on. So my advice. Well, first off, it does not appear for us that we can regain, at least in the short term, the mutual aid to the level that has historically been practiced among the Mennonites. I don't see that as a possibility except the only real chance we would have is in the in the health where we help each other with health care but these other areas let's say they are spilled milk and we're not going to cry over that anymore uh, right now anyhow <clears throat> with the collapse of obamacare the only venue where we have a real chance at Mutual aid would be in in uh, in healthcare, and honestly, that doesn't even look very secure. That looks sort of scary when I look at that. Small groups like that. Our groups are small, and a major expense or several major expenses on top of one another would devastate us financially. Now. Um, some of you may know that out in Indiana, there was some talk about establishing a, a number of small cells in different churches and then have a connection with other churches that are doing a similar thing, and then for those enormous, catastrophic situations, they would be sharing, and that may, that actually may develop, but um, that, in fact, right now lies too much on my shoulders to develop, so... But it's a possible that that may be a plan. So, I will give some advice concerning the heart of mutual aid of OASIS Care and Share. First, a disclaimer. When I started reaching, uh, reading there those, those, uh, scriptures and acts, I thought maybe some of you thought I might come out with, let's all be communists, let's all be all equal, all on one level. Though the early church practiced mutual care for each other, economic equality was neither the goal nor was it the outcome. They were not communists. They were not. They were socialists only in the way that they were caring for one another, and their giving was voluntary. There will be some people, no, I'm sorry, there are some people who are enormously more productive than other people. Some people are more intelligent. They have more skills. Some people are healthier and are able to do things better because of their natural health abilities. Some people have more initial privilege, either their upbringing or their initial capital to start in business or various things that people people are at all different places across the map. And so their productivity really varies in different people. Those are mostly the areas that people are gifted with as a given. And there's others that as far as character development. There are some people that are more conscientious. And when I mean by conscientious, I mean that they, they, they take on responsibility better. They're not irresponsible. These are character issues. Some people have better money management or management in general. Some people have more diligence than others. They just get more done in a day. Then there's others that are negatives on the same areas. They have less intelligence, just less abilities they have less privilege, and character varies. So, that results in various income levels. Some are orphans, some are widows. And the goal of mutual aid is not to equalize incomes and lifestyles to the same level. Some of us will be poorer than others. So, if we don't teach full equality, what do we teach? Well, let's look at some of the things that we should consider for ourselves here. This is where I struggled a lot in exactly whether I should actually itemize it or whether I should just simply talk to you if I don't have it quite internalized enough to just talk, although I wish I could. So I'm going to say, some of the things I say might row up feathers. I don't know, hope not. But I'm sort of a coward. So when I think it might be hard for some to take, then I hide behind someone else. <laughs> the last time that I remember doing that was uh, when I taught on Second Peter, uh, in, uh, talking about temperance. And one of the areas of temperance, one of the areas, only one, there's many areas. One of the areas of temperance is a person's weight. <laughs> it's pretty hard to preach that. So I hid behind an author. Uh, Elizabeth Elliott had a book on discipline. And I hid behind her and I, I preached it strong. This is what she said. So I'm, I'm a coward. Okay. <laughs> so maybe I'll do that again. Richie Lauer has something to say about people who are, who, uh, who practice mutual aid, but aren't quite where they should be maybe. Maybe the attitudes aren't right. Maybe some practical areas need to be brushed up on. So um, I'll let him row up the feathers. And what rouses up the people's feathers more than finances? That's a big one. So in connection to finances, mutual aid, Care for one another, a heart that wants to share and bless others, and we're talking about mutual aid, we could talk, of course, we could talk about missions, we could talk about many other areas where finance is going to, but this area is, this morning it's this area. Richie Lauer was addressing in a newsletter about a number of mutual aid programs that were failing. And he was assessing some of the reasons why they were failing. We do not have a mutual aid plan here that's failing, yet the principles will apply for us. So I'll abbreviate some things he said. He said, what, Since we're not teaching equality of income or complete equality of lifestyle, what do we teach? He says, teach conscience of lifestyle conscience of lifestyle your lifestyle should be affected by your conscience and he said not just noble sounding platitudes what the platitude it's well what some of the things that some of the songs that we sing can be noble sounding platitudes all to jesus i surrender all to him i freely give That's a noble-sounding, can be only a platitude. Okay. Teach conscience of lifestyle, not just noble-sounding platitudes, but in practical, bold applications of what temperance means in everyday personal and business life. (laughs) Are we really entitled to live the Anabaptist dream, which... Means which looks suspiciously close to the American Dream, with just enough Pennsylvania Dutch flavoring to make it palatable. <laughs> that was Richie Lauer. That was not me. Okay. <laughs> Do our lifestyles and our purchases and our vehicles and our furnishings really reflect? that our main concern is for others, for eternity and not ourselves. We don't teach or believe in total equality, but luxurious and high living is viewed very negatively in the whole of the New Testament. We, who deserve hell, we've been plucked out of the fire We have been given a forgiveness we did not deserve. Paid by a price that we couldn't pay. What do we deserve? Do we deserve a carefree and luxurious life? Jesus didn't have it. And neither did the apostles. You know. John D. Martin, and I probably said this story here sometime, at least somewhere. I know i said this story before. John D. Martin, you know, when you have these stories of somebody going to heaven and the experience that they have there, it's just all um, speculation, but it's made to make a point. There's a rich man in the community, went to heaven, and he was met by his poor neighbor. And his poor neighbor said, "Come see the mansion that I have up here. Wow!" And he showed him, and he and uh, the poor neighbor was showing his other neighbor. You know, they're all in heaven now. They're, they're there, and and uh, and they were both admiring, "Wow, this!" And the rich man would think, "Boy, I didn't know that you had such means, or something like that." And then, uh, then, as the saying goes, you know the. the the Apostle Peter comes along and says, Hey, I want to show you your mansion. So they go out back and they go way out back, way out in the back end, and there's a little shack. That's my mansion. He said, Yeah. I said, I just, I just used the materials you sent me. <laughs> the only way we can build treasures in heaven is to give here. And that is not to say that wealthy people here are not generous. That's not to say that. There are people of means that are very generous. But sometimes as we look at things, we we we, we have to be careful how we judge, okay? But but um what kind teach conscience of lifestyle? What kind of lifestyle do we really deserve? Then another point that he had, it teach that conscience means that we may have to sacrifice. Conscience is not just when it benefits us. And he was addressing the area of mutual aid where people were a part of, of the mutual aid program because it was cheaper. And that was the primary reason they were part of that plan. It was cheaper. If we care about our fellow believers, many times it means sacrifice on our part. They did actually did a survey, and uh, they did a survey of how many percentage of people Were part of Anabaptist financial, both I think in either lending money or loaning. I'm not quite sure what it was. One of of their one of their aspects, and it was only about a third that were there because of the brotherhood caring for each other dimension. The primary one was higher insurance rate or more security for the money and that kind of thing. What percentage of our people would still support mutual aid if it were more expensive than commercial insurance? Good question for us. Another point, teach that all members of the brotherhood, young and old, rich and poor, must take responsibility for the spiritual health and the physical obligations of the brotherhood. The idea is here is, oh, I know some older men in this in our congregation who are wealthy. I'll let them take care of the needs while I do my thing over here. I'll let them shoulder the greater responsibility of the needy. In the meantime, I will build my capital. And there is a point to be made here. Young people, as they're starting up, have more expenses, and are more tied up. And older people in general have more, what's that called, income? Uh, disp- not disposable. Discretionary. Discretionary income. Yes, disposable. Yeah, <laughs> it's disposable. Discretionary income. But here is the danger for young people if they don't sense the responsibility on their shoulders, not only will they begin to pay off their things and, and get started in life, they will also creep up in their lifestyles. If they don't feel the love and responsibility of others on their shoulders, that is Very difficult, let's say it's very difficult, and maybe I can almost say it's almost impossible for that not to happen. That young people may not have, if you're starting a home, you may not have lots of discretionary income, should still feel that burden. And and young, we also may feel, well, the older people are more, um, they're more mature, in their spiritual walk. Younger people, you have lots to offer. Take it to heart. Uh, Shoulder that responsibility. I'm responsible for my brothers and my sisters. I'm responsible for them in their health. And also feel that burden because that is also how you mature. One way how you mature. You know, we don't believe in keeping up with the Joneses. But the problem is we do. (laughs) When what I do in my financial decisions and lifestyle affects other people. You can mark that down. It will. The things you buy, the places you go, I say the vacations you take, (laughs) will have an impact on the brotherhood. It's a given. You can't avoid that. And so I'm not telling you what to do. I tell you, have that conscious, conscience rather. Okay, and here in closing is an analysis of your heart attitude in closing Which do you connect with best? Talking about mutual aid and there's a little contrast again between insurance and mutual aid. If you value a system that A. Works through secular financial markets B. Tries to guarantee against all losses and C. Is based only on what you can afford to pay then you're probably more interested in commercial insurance than brotherly mutual aid. But if you value a system that is, A, a loyalty arrangement between people of similar faith and values, B, promises assistance knowing it may not be able to restore all possible financial losses, and C, covers all within the faith community regardless of their ability to pay, if you value that, you probably have a more of a mutual aid mentality. And then the question is, mutual aid or insurance mentality, what kind of attitude do you have? What is the prevailing attitude in your church? And are we getting stronger in those attitudes or weaker in those attitudes? So those are my thoughts on Oasis, Care and Share. It's not a correction in any major way, but to provoke us all to love and good works. So may God bless you.